everything happened in 77, including Susie's escape. Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the Who Cares Anyway podcast, a series of interviews with musicians, writers, artists, and other creative figures on topics related to the book Who Cares Anyway, Post-Punk San Francisco and the End of the Analog Age on Head Press Books, and also on occasion the book uh, When Can I Fly, The Sleeper's Tuxedo Moon, and Beyond the Memoirs of Michael Belfer, which I helped him co-write, and that is on Hozak Books, and still available. And the reason I mention all of that is that, well, for one thing, it's been a little bit of a hiatus since the uh, last episode, but also because the guest on this episode, Susie Skates, is someone who was present at a lot of the points where those two books overlap. She helped me corroborate and uh, elaborate on some of the stranger-than-fiction, bordering-on-true-crime events that are recounted in Michael's book and then also in different versions in uh, Who Cares Anyway. But what I wanted to emphasize and the reason I wanted to have her on as a guest is that she wasn't just a witness to other people's deeds and or misdeeds. She was also a creative figure in her own right. And this is part of why I use that phrase, other creative figures. Because, yes, she did move to San Francisco to attend the Art Institute, as we'll hear. And she did play in a couple of bands later on after she moved to New York. But she made her name as, well, Susie Skates, Messenger on Wheels a roller skating equivalent of or variation on the more common bike messenger idea. And so that is something that she did for uh, at least a couple of years in San Francisco before an injury sort of cut that short, and we'll hear about that. And then connecting back to the books, she was a resident of a couple of different uh, legendary slash infamous dwellings, one of them being an apartment at 8th and Howard in San Francisco, where members of so many different bands either lived or socialized, and those bands would include the Mutants, the Avengers, Negative Trend, the Sleepers, and so on. And then the other place where she lived that was, again, kind of a nerve center in the early punk era was the American Can Company building out on 3rd Street. There were a lot of different personalities, characters who passed through these locations, and so we're going to hear about some of those. Uh, Eventually, Susie Skates moved to New York in 1980, and so we follow her story there, and there are some additional twists and turns I don't want to give too much away. So with all that being said, I'll get out of the way and let us get into the interview with Susie Skates. Well, I had been studying art, you know, majored in art, studied art in high school. I graduated high school at 16 and moved to London. I was in London living with my then boyfriend and my current husband now, because that's a whole big story. But um, I moved to London when I was 17 and he worked in the music business. And I 
was surrounded by all these famous and accomplished people, and I didn't feel like I was doing anything. Um, and art was something I always fell back on. And my best friend, well, it didn't fall back on. I mean, I continued doing it while I was there. But um, my best friend, Tim Smith, um, was going to the San Francisco Art Institute. And so I had a real urge to go there as well. And I felt like, you know, I'm around all these people that are so accomplished and I need to do something myself. I was so young, you know, I mean, I was like not even 18 when I moved there, you know. So when I was 19, I decided to go to San Francisco. I, I decided because he was there that it was a good idea for me to go there as well. And I was encouraged by him as well to go there. And so I figured it out and I, I went. You know, I, I, I got in and I went. And I was painting. I was a I got in to do painting. You know, I was a I was in the painting program. Painting and drawing. Okay, because I've you know, I talked to at least a handful, if not more, of people who were at the Art Institute at that time and a lot of them were well, they were in different fields. But I gathered that a lot of it wasn't necessarily mm, something that you could categorize in terms of painting. A lot of it was more like new genres. I guess that was the the department. Gosh, I don't, I don't, sorry. I don't, I don't remember that. I don't remember the names of the different studies. Those people that you're talking to probably had much more, like I'm a, I'm an art school dropout. You know, I, I did not finish and get or get a degree from the art institute even though i went there but that's because when i first moved there well it's not because but um this is just what happened um i i started i mean i was already skating before i went there but the summer 77 um this little article in the bay guardian started a tsunami of press all over the world, not just, just, you know, San Francisco, but it like one little article led to another. And so, you know, I got, so I, my, I went to the Art Institute and I was around people there and I tried to keep up with my studies, but I was very consumed with keeping up with the Susie Skate. And, you know, I would fit in my classes in between, like, interviews with Perry Match or the New York Times or, I mean, it sounds really ridiculous, but I was getting phone calls almost every day to do an interview. Like, that's what I was doing. As much as working, even, I was doing interviews all the time. And everyone, you know, just wanted to know the same thing, but... It was really silly, and then they would send take pictures, and then I'd have an article in a newspaper or a magazine or whatever. Yeah, so I guess we should backtrack. And like, how how did that get started, and what led to the Big Guardian article? Like, how long had you been doing well, it? Do I mean, we should maybe tell people what it was? It was Susie Skates. It was a gather. There was a there were bike messengers in the days, and you were doing something kind of like 
a version Correct. of that on, on roller skates? Yeah. It was a version of a bike messenger, but it was for special events, you know, like deliver a birthday cake, you know, for somebody in an office. Or um, I did a lot of also a lot of businesses would hire me for like two hours to like be in the financial district just passing out flyers on skates. And I would like just whip them into people's hands before they even knew they were getting them. I was really good at it. You know, it's like, you know, you see people that are passing out flyers. I always take one from them because, you know, I always feel like, you know, it's, it's, it's not an easy job actually, but I, I, there was a, because I just like would get it into their hand before they even knew what it was, you know? And, um, and that, and I always wore like, you know, a, um, had a, a skate, my skating uniform was a polka dot shirt with a bomber jacket that said Susie Skates on the back. And um, that's what I wore for my, my messenger service, as well as for my um, other, um, like I used to call them promotions, you know. Um, and when I would give somebody, a, I would bring somebody a cake at their office, I would give them a big, like, red lipstick kiss on the cheek, and then I would pin them with a badge, and I would say, you've just been serviced by Susie Skates, and the badge said, I was serviced by Susie Skates. I'm going to send you one. I have some. <laughs> I, I will send you one. I still have some, but... Um, and that's, that was the whole gimmick and people loved it. And it, it wasn't a gimmick. I just, I was just looking for a little job, but then the press caught on to it and it just blew up. So, so that was that, um, so you said that 77. Started the summer, no, it started the, okay, I moved, I moved to San Francisco and started I, I was skating, you know, way before then. I was skating in London when I was in London, and I was a street skater. And street skaters were not well known at that time, and you didn't see people on the street skating. It was unusual, hard to believe after the huge skate, you know, trend, you know, roller skating trend. But it, it is truly hard to believe, but there was nobody skating on the street and I was, and I just, I did it in London. I did it. Um, like I said, I was surrounded by a lot of like, uh, uh, my, my husband, my well, current husband, but my then boyfriend was um, working with all these super well-known people from, you know, Mick Taylor to Ginger Baker to, Gosh, I mean, there's so many. He worked with, yeah. Um, anyway, that's like a, a whole long story. But I was skating already before I came to San Francisco. And then when I came there, and I was just looking for a little job to do. And so I thought, I told myself, you can't find a little job. You have to create your own job. And, and then I did. I created a little job. And then it just got caught on by the press. And it blew up. 
I'm actually, I'm working right now. I'm starting to work on memoirs and I'm trying to get the dates all like totally figured out. But I think I came in the spring of 77. I mean, it all happened so fast. I think I came in the spring of 77. And then, I mean, like, let's say January of 77. And then in that summer is when the Big Guardian thing happened. And then after the Bay Guardians thing happened, that's when, like, all the other stuff started happening. As soon as that one thing happened, then I got, like, a news, like, a, I don't know, whatever the San Francisco news station is, local thing. Like, immediately, they wanted to do an interview with me. And I had, as soon as I got the Bay Guardian thing, I told myself, you have to get an answering service and a mailing address, because I don't think I even had a proper place to live, you know? Yeah. I mean, I was there kind of, anyway. Okay. And then at, at some point in 1977, you wound up at the place at 1183. Ethan Howard. Ethan Howard, yeah. How did you find out about that place and who did you know there when you first moved in? Well, a really incredible and uh, beautiful guy named Scott Covert. Um, I, I met during, well, I think I met him before. like before the summer, but during the summer I met him and he told me that they had moved into this amazing, uh, they're going to move into this place. And then he invited me over. And um, so, yes, it was Scott Covert that first brought me there or invited me there. And Okay. And that, that was somebody, and you knew him through the art Institute. Yes. Through the art Institute, through my best friend, Tim Smith, through the people at the Art Institute and friends. Yeah, it's, it's like a whole circle. But no, I mean, the, um, he, Scott, Scott is, I don't want to use the word genius because it's so overused, but he is a genius. And he's really good at what he does, and his work is so incredible. And I love it. Um, and I hope you... You've looked at some of it, checked it out a little bit. Yeah, the, what I saw that was, what would you call them, rubbings of gravestones? He's been uh, doing it for 30 years, but he puts together, like, people. he knows where everybody's buried and all over the world, you know, and people that interest him. And, like, he'll go on, like, a pilgrimage to get, like, Noel Coward or, you know, um, Honey Thunders or whoever, you know, um, Candy Darling or, you know, just Andy, Andy Warhol, you know, it's like, it doesn't matter. I mean, he doesn't, I mean, it matters because there are people that drive him to do this. He goes all over the world to do it. And, and then he, he layers them because, you know, all the tombstones are, you know, different typography and different sayings and this and that. And he layers it and he makes these like kind of abstract paintings out of them. And they're just incredible. And, and also, I, mean, I, I love them and I love him. So some of the other names, though, um, that I, I, I know were living there at some point, but I'm not sure if they were there at the beginning, but uh, Marcus Leatherdale, Freddie from the Mutants, did not live there. Marcus Leatherdale never lived oh, okay. there. He was 
he was a friend of he was a friend of all of ours basically. Um, the people when I what I remember when I when I first went there the very first time I went there. Scott Covert lived there. Brian Campbell lived there. Amy lived there. Joanne Berman lived there. And I, it's possible that Freddie Newton might have been in that first group also, but I can't. That I, I'm, I'm a little bit unclear if he came later or if he was one of the first people there. But for sure, it was Amy, Brian, Scott, Joanne. And um, there was another little room. I don't remember who was in that room. Okay. It sounds like there must have been at least three bedrooms in there based on all. The- oh, yeah. No, there's more than three. There's, um, let me count. Okay. One, two, three, four. I, I would say there's five bedrooms. Okay. When I first went to the safe house, my very first time, I think it was for a party after the Mabuhai, and I, I might have gone once before with Scott during the day, because what I remember about the safe house also, even the first time I went there, is you climb up this tall flight of stairs, and at the top of the flight of stairs, there's a skylight, and so it's kind of glamorous, you know? It wasn't like a dingy place at all. It was very beautiful. And then at the top of the stairs, there were these racks, where there were, um, for display, aesthetically, there were black leather dildos and handcuffs and leashes and, I don't know, maybe a whip or two, you know, hanging up on these hooks. But um, it was just, I think it was an aesthetic display. Anyway, and then off off to the you're looking at the stairs off to the right, Brian's room, off to the left, Scott's room. You go down, there's a couple of bathrooms. There's uh, an amazing uh, double shower with like big mirrors and stuff. And then a living room and a big kitchen with a big table. And then two more bedrooms in the back. And we could also go up on the roof and... Um, there was a like a communal closet, this big room that just everybody put their clothes because I don't think there were uh, places to hang your clothes in the actual rooms. So I don't remember that, but I remember this huge closet where we all just kind of hung our clothes. And so sometimes we would borrow them from each other. But anyway, I jump ahead, I thought. <laughs> but um, uh, the first time I went was with Scott. He showed me where he was, and then he invited me to a party that was... I believe it was after a show um, and because it was crowded, you know, the, the perm- there were always parties after those at the Mount High or, or other places, you know, there, there were always parties because all, when you have that many people, like everybody knows somebody, you know, and they all come over and they all have friends and anyway, so we, there were always parties. And so I went once. And, um, you know, that's when I met uh, Brian. And it was the first time I'd met him. I hadn't met him at the Art Institute. Um, but I was wearing these, like, black suede Oscar de la Renta pumps, and my heel broke. 
And somebody said, oh, take it to Brian. He can fix that. So I knocked on his door, and I didn't even know who he was or anything. And I gave him my shoe, and he proceeded to fix it with a glue gun. And um, that endeared me. (laughs) Anyway, but I think at that same party, there was, like, Jennifer from the nuns sitting there, gorgeous, and... um, I don't think I ever said two words to her. She was so incredibly striking and gorgeous. And, but and she also didn't talk a lot, at least. I, I, I don't remember talking to her. And, uh, and other, other, I think other members of the nuns might have been there too. Maybe Alejandro was there, but I'm not sure. Maybe Jeff. But anyway... That's the first time I remember. I mean, that's when I met Brian. That's the first time I went to a party there. And then, um, you know, there were, there were more parties there, you know. And it's where everybody went after. It was, it was, a, it was a big apartment, so it was comfortable to have a party. You know, and they had a nice big kitchen, a nice big living room. And... Um, and then plus all the little rooms for other stuff to go on. This is jumping ahead, but, um, or am I jumping ahead? I sent you that little thing about, um, that Joanne had said about the day that Sonny Bar- Barger or Barger got let out of, of prison. Yeah, now you are jumping. Now you are jumping ahead. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay. but, but that's okay. Um, uh, what do I remember of that? Um, I remember... Uh, this this must have been when I was already living there. So that is jumping ahead because, oh, okay. you know, but there was always, like I said, I've told you before, there is this mist or myth about, I would always hear about the Hells Angels and, and I, <laughs> I don't remember ever seeing one, you know, but I'm sure they came because, but anyway, I, I don't, don't remember seeing one, but I know that Brian would have appointments with them, and okay, yeah, because I was I was actually just looking back to see because you know Brian Campbell, the, the some certainly someone I hadn't heard of before. Uh, then I, you know, Michael told me about him, and then I'd ask other people about him, or other people would mention him. But we we're actually trying to figure out if he ever went to the Art Institute, but you know, apparently he did. Uh, Bruce Pollock, if if that rings from the the a hole, said yeah, that he, no, I know. he thought he okay thought he did sculpture but he said there's no documentation of his artwork uh mm-hmm. and he also said whatever you've heard about brian campbell is true uh i think he did sculpture but he didn't really do much artwork but it sounds like even by the time you were by the time you met him he he wasn't really going to school if he ever did i think he did i mean that's how he met all these people that's how he knew all these people and right, yeah. um uh, but um, when I went to the Art Institute, I did not meet him then. I met him later at at the house at Ace and Howard, and but he knew he knew everybody. You know, he knew Sally Webster, he knew Sue Brisk, he knew Bruce Pollock, he knew Charlie Hagen. I mean, he knew he knew a lot of the Art Institute people, and. Uh, when I met him, I mean, it's, everybody knew Brian, you know, they just, everybody knew him. And, and he was, he was a really charismatic guy. I mean, he, 
he was, um, he like flirted like shamelessly with not only girls or gay guys or, you know, dealers or whatever, but he's always, he's just like a, he had like a twinkle in his eye and a little like flirtiness about him. And, and he was um, a charismatic um, looking guy. And he, and he wore like the punk uniform, you know, jeans, you know, slim jeans with tight black t-shirt, black motorcycle boots. Um, and even though he absolutely, nobody worked out in those days. I mean, nobody <laughs> did. Um, but anyway, but he had a body like, like he did push-ups or something. And he was lean, but he was muscular. Had like flat belly, and you know he just he had a he had a really cute cute body, and um, uh, yeah, he was he was quite um, charismatic. But you know, one thing about Brian is he was he was very ambitious. I mean, he was like you know, he was a dealer, but you know it was his job. You know, he was ambitious about it, and I don't. I mean, he did. He did do his fair share of drugs, but obviously, um, because it got it got worse. It progressed. But when I first met him, he, he it, it wasn't out of hand yet, you know, at all. Um, I guess it, it got that way. It just occurred to me, this is a silly question, but would you actually skate like to North Beach from, from? Oh yeah, I would go, I was, I was always on skate. I mean, I would take them off and I had like Fredericks of Hollywood little like pumps that I would put on like little mules and I would, I would always have skates with me, but I went to many shows with skates on and I went to school. I went to the Art Institute with skates on. But I, I would carry, like, a, a change of shoes. Because I might be coming from a job, but did I actually skate all the way to the Art Institute? I don't think so. I'm sure I got a ride most of the time. Okay, that brings me back also to Brian. Okay, in the very beginning when I met Brian, he had a, had a great little adorable sports car an mg or something i think and and so he, yeah he would drive me to school you know sometimes and and or drive me to like the area of my job or i would take a taxi i guess too it's too far to skate from Ethan howard to to <laughs> okay. the art institute yeah i was trying to picture that picture that the hills too the hills being a well, yeah, I'm really good at the hills. The hills are not a problem for me. I never had a problem with the hills in San Francisco. But um, one thing I wanted to mention about that MG of Brian's, I think it was an MG, is I thought it was so great. He had a car. I loved it. Because my car had died over the summer and while I was developing Susie's skates. And so I wasn't, I wasn't using a car anymore. I was, I guess, using public transportation, although I can't even remember doing that. But uh, Brian started um, 
I guess something was wrong with his car. And so he had it parked in the garage at Ethan Howard. And he started um, taking it apart, trying to fix it. And this became like a year-long project. He was working on that car with parts. And, like, I mean, I finally gave up on ever getting a ride from him for anything, ever. Because he was always down there working on the car. You know, um, him and whoever else would come, like, you know, peop- I guess people that were coming by to stop by and maybe buy drugs or get drugs or whatever. Um, and when I say drugs, I mean speed. That's the only thing he, he, he dealt um, that I know of, that I remember. And, um, you know, anyway, yeah, so he, they would, they would, he would be down there for days. I mean, I wouldn't even see him. You know, he, he would, he would just be working on his car. And I always had the hopes that we would drive to the Mabahe or we would, he would drive me to school or we would drive out for breakfast, but never happened. I mean, it stopped happening. Let's just put it like that. He had parts like all over. I mean, it became like this, this thing. I mean, people couldn't believe it. He had all these parts um, of his car and he was always working on it, but it never got completed. <laughs> and I, I don't remember what he finally did with it, but uh, somebody finally came and got it or something. But it was a, I think you could call that a speed project, you know? <laughs> you know, and uh, with Amy, I did a little uh, looking around, uh, research uh, that she was, she had, I guess, come and gone from where she was from Memphis or, and or moved back yeah. to Memphis. Yeah, so yeah. the the clits K L I T Z that were um, associated with uh, Alex Chilton, yeah, yeah, and Jim Dickinson. Okay, yeah, so that's Amy Amy Gassner as she's credited on the record. Well, she was a first when she was in San Francisco when she was living. When I first met her, before I even went to say it was uh, through the Art Institute and through Tim Smith. And that summer, I remember she was punk of the month in this new magazine. I think it was even the premier issue of punk magazine. And there was this like centerfold of Amy. Um, and she was just like, hit this voice, this like Southern sweet voice from Amy. You know, <laughs> that's how I always used to see her. I loved her. And she was just this um, pinup. I mean, she she dressed kind of rockabilly, or um, I mean, I didn't know it at the time, but she dressed vintage, sort of. It was pre rockabilly, I guess. But um, she was just she was just adorable and and really sweet, and I really loved her. And she had a little room there, and she was a former girlfriend of Alex Chilton. She was also a former girlfriend of uh, Jonathan Postal. And then I think when she was living there, she was with Jimmy um, from the Avengers. Eventually, that's what happened. Sometimes the way I'll see it presented is, you know, uh, oh, like punk rock and, and there's no distinction between 77 and 81, but then learning about it, you realize, oh, these are, that's like 
three or four distinct uh, little mini eras that already passed between uh, the there, waves it was of like people. Months, months. You know, yeah. it would change in months. You know, I mean, um, for me, it would change because I was changing. For instance, that summer, when what in my recollection, which, like I said, I'm going through and trying to put dates on these to validate that to like help me figure it out. But in my recollection, that summer of 77, obviously there was no Avengers. There was no Sleepers. There was the, the nuns, yes. Crime was like the biggest, I mean, that, I remember that summer crime was like the, the one, the, the band that I saw posters for that summer. Um, I don't remember seeing... Avengers or anybody else before that. Now that's just my memory, but to me, everything happened in 77. Like everything exploded in 77, including Susie's Gate. And um, people like my, my uh, you know, friends or colleagues or whatever, you know, they couldn't believe that I was getting so much press and I was getting so much attention and this and that. And like, they're working so hard to get that, but I'm just skating. <laughs> and that's really literally what I was doing. But, you know, it's just, that's just how it works sometimes. And I guess, and I learned a lot from that, you know. But then I think I kind of, expected that to keep going you know and it and it didn't I mean really although it did lead to other things which you know um was the comics my comic strip which was really cool you know I mean literally they were calling me like I that I invented roller skating you know that I was on the cover of the first roller skating magazine Life Magazine wanted to do something on me, which I, I couldn't do because I actually had a big accident. But I, I wanted to ask about that accident because you mentioned it before and mentioned that um, eventually you wound up, and that leads into the, um, the American Can Company building in that yeah. era, but that you yeah. wound up staying there because of the accident. But was that a, was that a roller skating accident or was that something no. else? No, no. Um, I, it's so horrible even to think about, but I severed an artery in my foot, um, because I had brought up this like coffee table top that had a sliced edge glass coffee table top. And I thought, oh, I know it's there. It'll be fine. And of course I bumped into it and, you know, it's like, it's like a machete, you know, and it sliced through an artery in my foot and I was in the hospital, you know, with micro, I had like, you know, microsurgery, major surgery. It was, it was bad. It was bad, bad, bad. Um, all because I thought, oh, I love this big piece of glass. This would be look amazing in my apartment. I brought it up. And I bumped into it in like yeah. 10 minutes, you know, like, yeah. did I think of taping? Did I think of duct taping it? No, that wouldn't be pretty. <laughs> no, it was, 
the most stupid thing I ever did. And it really, it, that also did change my life in a way, changed the course of my life. Um, because, yeah, I ended up, you know, giving up my apartment, which I got after the Ethan Howard place, which is when I was sort of in a breakup with Brian. And then, you know, who's there to pick me up? You know, after being in the hospital for two weeks, and who's bringing me flowers and teddy bears and all that kind of stuff when I was in the hospital? Brian. And then he brought he brought me home, and he's like, "You're gonna, you know, because I need to be taken care of. I had a cast, you know, up to my knee." Um, and yeah, so I let him take care of me, and so then that started the next period. And I gave up the apartment that I was at, which was Sacramento. Wait, no, it was. Um, oh God, I can't really think of it. It was. Um, Nob, you said Knob Hill when we. Yes, Knob Hill. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it was Knob Hill. I want to say Sacramento, but it wasn't Sacramento because that's a different street. Anyway, yeah, it was. Um, it was a horrible like accident, and completely life changing accident. To be honest, because um, Brian and I had already broken up, you know, so didn't expect to go back to him. But you know, then he came back and he be, kind of became my caregiver, um, like a fun caregiver. But yeah, you know, he was. He was great. And that's when, okay, so now I'm at, now I'm at the American Tan building. I'm living with Brian. I mean, I used to visit him there, but, and it was an amazing place. Beautiful. Right. So, you know, I tried to figure out what, um, evidently it's been uh, turned into some real high end um, living, but that was at way out on third third street and 20th. Yeah. So that brings it in, into um, that part of town where Club Foot was, but otherwise, mm-hmm. uh, um, again, for anybody picturing, if you look at San Francisco on a map, this would be down on the the uh, the lower right hand corner of you know in the bay, but but a part of town where um, at least back then, even when I lived there in the two thousands, that was pretty pretty remote. Yes. Yeah, but we all had cars, right? You okay. know, so. You know, we had parking there. You know, we had literally had parking in front of the place. It was amazing. No, it was an amazing place to live. And yes, Clubfoot was just like, you know, a couple blocks away. But that, you know, that started up a little later. And, um, you know, we had, the place was immense. I mean, it's still immense. I mean, it's, it's maybe like four blocks of buildings, you know. And we lived in a like a, a really nice part of it, and um, but there, yeah, they were they were renting places all over the building. It wasn't just us, you know. It was us, and then um, lots of people. We kind of hooked up a lot of our friends to rent there also. Okay, it sounds like it was almost um, wow. I found an image of it from here from nineteen. 19- 10 but uh it sounds like it was um like a dormitory type situation from how you described it uh, based on how well, you described it kind or... of, but everybody had their own space you know um okay. but yeah the bathrooms down the hall there were a couple bathrooms a couple showers i remember 
you know, taking showers all over that building, you know, you could get private showers, you could do like, anyway, yeah, it's um, a little scary to think back about those times, Will, but, you know, it was also really beautiful and a beautiful place to live, you know, well, I'm sure now they've got incredibly gorgeous places for people to live, that aesthetically it was really a beautiful building. Bruce from Flipper remembered there being some kind of sewing company, but were there still active? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. there was a shoe, a shoe guy. The owner of the building produced shoes. They were like a shoe manufacturer because I was really interested in shoes. You know, I'm a roller skater. I'm interested in, in shoes, interested in fashion. You know, I wanted him to, like, give me a job also. You know, I really wanted to be part of his shoe factory because I'm like, hey, I've got great ideas. You know? <laughs> and, and literally he was, like, downstairs, you know. Like, but it was so huge. I could skate there, you know. <laughs> I mean, we're talking blocks, you know. Yeah. Okay. Uh, like, in a building, you know. Four blocks from what and, I can see here. Yeah. You know, but I lived there and I also went to the factory because I was interested in it. Because as a, first of all, somebody interested in shoes, but also I'm a roller skater and I feel like I'm a famous roller skater. You should like give me a job. So um, Flipper early on, they were rehearsing down there, but you said that they ended up in your... Flipper did, yeah, yeah. which I'm, I'm so sorry I haven't sent that to you yet. That's okay. Yeah. Flip, Flipper did. I'll send you that page. Um, I, see, I see the but, one page on your that was uploaded on your Facebook page, but I don't know how many pages there are total. Well, there's tons because I was in every issue of Roller Skate Magazine, but um, I'm sorry, I forgot what the question was. But oh, yeah. I, do, I don't know. There yeah, was a well, rehearsal studio. There was a rehearsal studio where, you know, um, Lots of bands rehearsed. If I remember, it was probably Brian. I, probably Brian along with some musicians that gave the advice of how to soundproof and everything. Because there, there was like foam on the walls and stuff like that. And so it was sort of rehearsal space looking. And also, but it was loud. <laughs> you know, you'd hear these bands rehearsing and it was, yeah, you could hear it. And then Club Foot made a rehearsal space. I think a lot of people started going there too, you know. You eventually did move to New York, and then the question was how much of that was a matter of San Francisco pushing you away or New York drawing you in and, and you felt like it was more more the latter. But do, do you remember, was there a specific thing that led you to move to New York? Uh, were, were you still doing Susie Skates at that time? I was, was like doing, really bored. Being. I was really bored with skating. Um, I mean, it became such a huge trend that I didn't love it 
anymore. Um, that's all I remember is um, when I moved to New York, I mean, I brought my skates and I skated all over New York, of course. But I wasn't, like, Susie Skates wasn't what I was doing, really. And my, my comic strip only went on for another, like, one or two more issues. And then that folded. And I was okay with that. But I was kind of over skating. You know, I wanted to go to the next step, you know, after skating. I mean, do you remember what a huge phenomenon roller skating was? It was just... I was a little bit. You're probably young. five years old. I have, yeah. I remember sometimes there would be a birthday party at the roller rink, and I would just, I would dread it because I couldn't even stand up. I'd have to cling on to the to the rail. And, I'll yeah. teach you to skate. <laughs> Easy. We both but, have a high center of gravity. I'm six five, and I think you're six feet, maybe I'm six. About yeah. maybe now five eleven. <laughs> Um, because you get old, shorter as you get older, but I mean, I'm a little bigger than someone, but, but, but anyway, um, yeah, um, I just, like when I moved to New York, I wanted, I wanted something else, you know, and then I got here and, you know, without my Susie Skates identity, it was, it was different, you know, and then you know, I started, I did start something else, you know, um, and I don't know, it's, in New York, I, I, it was time to leave San Francisco for me, that's all I can say, it was time to leave, it, it, I had reached, you know, the end of my possibilities um, that I could see. You need to make a change. And so I came to New York and I did. Okay. And you know, this is part of why I wanted to, to, to do this interview because I don't really know much of what happened. I know that you met at Chausset and he was playing with the oh, plasmatics. Oh, no, I knew him way okay. before then. Okay. I knew okay. Chausset also from San Francisco. I ran into him here. I didn't even look him up, which I could have. I just ran into him at the Mud Club, same as I ran into Marcus. I decided, you know, I'm going to just show up and I'm just like, I'm just going to find people. I'm not going to call people and ask them to help me, you know, or, you know, get me situated or, you know. Anyway, I had my own. I was fine. So so you had met Jose in San Francisco. And so did he go to the Art Institute as well? He went to the San Francisco Film Institute, if I'm if I'm correct. Uh, same same. Uh, Jimmy also, I think, went there uh, from the Avengers. Jim Wilsey or Wilsey. Um, okay. Uh, anyway, it was the San Francisco, or is that the Art Academy? Oh, gosh, it was downtown San Francisco. It wasn't the Art Institute, but Jose um, only had like three words that he spoke at that time in English. I think one was incredible. The other was not my favorite. And the other was amazing. And you'd be surprised how far you can get along 
in a conversation or in a social situation by just saying those three words with his emphasis on the way he said them. He was, he was, oh, he's a man. I loved him too, but I mean, it was, it was weird because you didn't, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't have a conversation with him really because he didn't speak much English, <clears throat> but we always had a connection. And so then when I was in San Francisco still, he got in the Posmatics and they started getting this fame, you know, they, he would send me, like he sent me the interview magazine article on them or the Soho news article or he would he would he would mail me little you know like press clippings and stuff so i because i had mistakenly Mm -hmm. i had mistakenly thought that he was still in the plasmatics and that you met him somehow when he was in the plasmatics but not only did you met he was already out of the i met him i i took him to the ramones concert um when they came to when the Ramones came to San Francisco and Berkeley, I took Jose, who's a few years older than me. He's maybe five years older than me, four years, five years, which is like an eternity when you're young. Um, I brought him to the uh, see the Ramones, and he decided, you know, you don't have to be young. I mean, they're they're my age. And they're still playing in bands. Why can't I do that? Because he used to play in Japan. And so he was already moving to New York. He was, he, anyway, I was the last person he visited. He came, actually, he needed a place to stay that night. And um, before he moved to New York, he drove cross-country in his red Citron. And um, he went there and he decided... Besides doing his, he went to school for a little bit, but then he answered a, uh, an ad to join the, you know, to audition for the Plasmatics, uh, which weren't called the Plasmatics yet, but to audition for a band. And so, he, yeah, so it was pre-Plasmatics that I knew him. And he was, he was making films and going to film school when I met him. And he and Tim Smith both lived at the dorms in Lone Mountain College, which are this beautiful estate in San Francisco, like when you're driving out towards um, the beach, I guess they call it south. I don't know what they call it, but you're driving out towards the beach, uh, sunset or whatever that's called. And, um, you know, they had like a triple room. He had like a loft at the at the dorm. He didn't have just like one room. He had like three rooms. Beautiful. But he was just this eccentric character, and he was a really good friend of uh, my friend Tim Smith, who was an, the artist that was living there at the Lone Mountain College in just a regular little dorm room. But um, I would wait sometimes with at at Chaussee's, like if Tim wasn't home. But, um, yeah, so we came here, and what happened was, you know, you get caught up in day-to-day life, and um, I, you know, was, um, he was waitering, I was waitressing, and I was also, and then Chose asked me to be in his band, 
And so then suddenly I have a band. You know, I'm a singer in a band. And um, that wasn't the first band I was in. It's funny. Because I think about it, it's like, I'm not a musician. When I think about myself, I'm not a musician. But this was Aurora Bora? Is that? Yeah, I was in Aurora Bora first with Chasse. And then later, like a few, like, few, few years later, I played um, bass with Raging Slab <laughs> with Rayanne Dinstag as okay. the drummer. And you know who she is. Yes. The famous, the famous Rayanne from the... <laughs> uh, stolen guitar. Um. Stolen guitar story, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, you're laughing. I like well, that. <laughs> well, well, because, uh, because, uh, because Michael had one version of that story, and I, and I interviewed Eric Fournier, the Sleeper's manager on that tour, and he right. had a different recollection and oh i'm sure he does i'm sure he does and i knew nothing about it honestly because i'm always the one frankly will i'm always the one not in the club because i don't do heroin i'm not in the club you know do you understand what i'm saying i understand i'm not in the club it's like if you don't do heroin you're not in the club i mean it's not a bad thing they kind of protect you, you know, but like, if you don't do it, you're not in the club. And that's how I always felt. I felt like that a lot in California, but I already got like that because in London, I wasn't in the club either, you know, cause I didn't, I mean, I'm not saying I never did drugs. I'm totally not saying that, but I was never in the club. I'm not sure how much these things are connected in in your mind, but Susie skates, roller skating, singing for Aurora Bora, um, you're painting initially. Was there a next stage to your artistic or performing career, if that's the right word, trajectory path, or or what what came after after that for you? I apologize well, for not knowing. No, it's okay. It's like. I go through different stages, you know, I was involved in fashion and, um, I moved to Paris and I wanted to model. I was in my early twenties and then I moved to Madrid and I, to be with the designer who I initially moved to New York with, Zamudio. And it, there was this huge movement going on in Madrid, the La Movida Madriana, you know, the, after Franco. Anyway, there was a huge movement, art movement going on there. So I've been in all these different art movements. <laughs> it's really interesting. I've been able to be there. So that was really incredible too. And then... I was there until I needed to come back to America. And then I came back and I got married to Chelsea Funahara. 
like way back to my Art Institute days. I mean, he was from the Film Institute. He was a filmmaker. And then, you know, plasmatics. Um, but, uh, yeah, if you put it all down on paper, it's like there's all this stuff going on, yeah. Yeah, and just make sure make sure I'm not totally under, misunderstanding this. Would you say Raging Slab? This is the same Raging Slab? Yes, yes. I was oh. the original bass player of Raging Slab. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, that's yeah. okay because when when you said it before, I thought I'm not like in Wikipedia. Or no, I, yeah, because like I look. That, it says yeah. it formed in 1983 when Greg Rayanne and, Rayanne and I. Rayanne was the bass of the the drummer. Rayanne, the famous Rayanne, now the guitar. <laughs> okay. Rayanne and I were the original drummer and bass. She was the drummer. I was the bass player for Raging Slab like as they were forming with Greg Strempka and you know his this is, this is Elise Steinman. Was, okay. Elise, yeah. Which was really sad. But you know, we and you know, we play I mean I I played way more shows with them than I did with Aurora Bora. Yeah. That's we, crazy. We played okay. lots of shows. Yeah, no, I know. You know they, and they, then, they wound up being uh, label mates with uh, the reformed flip. Well, that was before me. That was before me. Well, no, no, no. Late. Mm. Well, no, that would be late. Well, that would be. I mean, that's like, after me. After, so yeah, I, like early after. '90s. Yeah, and um, mm -hmm. with Rick Rubin. Yeah. Uh, I moved to Paris. Like I left the band, got kicked out of the band. Whatever happened? Whatever. We had a difference of opinions about stuff. And both Rayanne and I left the band and moved to Paris. And I was going back to modeling and I had a, a friend who, you know, was pursuing, you know, wanted me to pursue that. And anyway, yeah, it's um, pretty <laughs> funny. I know, it's pretty funny. That's all I'm going to say. Pretty funny. That I have, I've, I was in radio. <laughs> but again, like I can't remember how many years it. I mean, how many months it was even because it was more than it was more than it was probably one year. Yeah, but I have to. I'm working on my memoirs right now, and I need to like figure this stuff out. And it's hard going back and figuring out the timeline. Yeah, yeah, that, that that was just when you first said that. I thought, well, it's got to be another band with the same name, and or or, or I have no. to be mishearing. No, 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 no,
and everything like I didn't even identify with it at all but now I love it I think it's so fun but at the time I was like what <laughs> it's like southern rock uh yeah weird okay well that that is something I did not know I did not know so um well there you go, there you go. yeah so that's why we do this no but this is what I mean I've gone through all these like weird stages of my life yeah it's um maybe this is like the zelig idea isn't quite it because that's not just like you were just a bystander or seeing things you know you were doing things as well but you know one thing I got from talking to a lot of different people was you know the fact that this this scene wasn't just music and uh that encompassed a, a lot of different things that you can't necessarily put into a category because um you know roller skating is not necessarily the first thing that would come to somebody's mind but uh it was you know it was something that you were doing that was distinctive and uh memorable that um and you know original but still part of that era in that way um yeah i was influenced by you know, San Francisco itself, you know, the whole, the whole city, the energy of the city, but also the Art Institute, and then the excitement of the new music and the new art and the, and the new young people that were vibrant and, and energetic and creative and from all over the place, um, getting together and exchanging ideas. You know, it was, yeah, it was a really, it was a great time, I have to say. I I really loved it, being there. And I still love going to San Francisco because I just love aesthetically the place. But as far as, like, punk for me, I mean, my my personality, I guess I, I liked the punk aesthetic in my fashion and style, but I definitely didn't live the punk lifestyle much i mean although i was around it but i don't know especially when i think back i i guess i have like rose colored glasses when i think back about what i was like or you know we were young we were young also everybody was young and beautiful that's the other thing Yes. 